to episode 117 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other suave villains as masterpieces. I am Nick, the um, uh, well-polished, um, cool, um, but um, theft-orientated um, hero of the podcast. I, and I guess, <laughs> guess I'm the, the strangely alluring insurance agent, but also Roger. <laughs> we are discussing two films, um, well, one film in two guises. We are discussing the Thomas Crown's affairs today. Um, shall we start chronologically, yeah. Roger? Uh, we are, uh, this is a, a rare live meetup recording, which is why the order quality is a bit different today. Also, we've just been gaming all day, so we're yeah. tired. We are tired, <laughs> so our brains might not but, be fully functioning. But also punchy. So yeah, this, this, the 1968 Thomas Crown Affair, um, which won an Oscar for best original song. We'll come back to that, I guess. Um, <laughs> I was well aware of the song long before I realised it. It's like the um, Back to the Future soundtrack, which seems to have very little to do with the actual film. Mm. But anyway, we have uh, Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, uh, both big stars of, of, of the day. Um, and Norm, Norman Jewison directing. Um, one, of, one of those working Hollywood directors who just got a lot of stuff done. He, he would also make Fiddler on the Roof uh, a few years after this. Oh, yes. Uh, and in fact, the original rollerball. He did the original rollerball. Let's uh, uh, not. Which, I don't. We'll, we'll come back to why that's significant. But, yes. Yeah, so, so basic idea, um, and we, we start this with, with terribly cunning uh, split screen showing what's going terribly, on at different terribly times. Terribly sixty. This is the most sixties opening to a film I've watched for a long well, time. Well, yeah, but th this comes back to what one of our rules, which is. Uh, what, why, why is it a cliche? Because it got hugely widely imitated. <laughs> this was the, I think, the first mainstream film to do that. It felt a bit like, uh, Hitchcock in places, like North by Northwest and some of his later films were doing similar things. So, Expo 67, um, which I think was in Canada. Anyway, right. um, had a couple of experimental films in the labyrinth and a place to stand. Uh, particularly the latter had, had, uh, was, it's, Effectively, it's a long music video. Right, um, yes. It's showing various things from different angles or maybe different scenes from uh, in different windows on the screen, as we would call them now. Yes. Um, but it was not usual. It was not a thing people had seen before. Steve McQueen actually saw A Place to Stand as an advanced screening and told the director, I really like this. Um, and th this is the era. Th this is... 67, 68. Steve McQueen is a power. He's not officially a producer on this film or anything like that, but I strongly suspect that he dropped a word in the ear of Norman Jewison and Norman Jewison said, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, and we're also, and the film has a, a strong feel of it. We're approaching the era of the, um, the American New Wave. Um, mm. it, it does, of course, Faye Dunaway was right there at the start because of, um, Bonnie and Clyde, which was one of the very first, but this has a strong feel of that sort of, uh, fuck it, we're going to do what we like kind of film. Yeah, though also we don't, we don't really, uh, we're not really worried about uh, giving the people a happy ending, which I think is quite important. Uh, yes, the problem with that is whenever I see a film from there now, then I'm expecting it not for the happy ending. <laughs> um, but yes, I agree. So, yeah, um, 
Okay, unhelpful plot summary. Um, Thomas Crown is extremely rich and bored. Now, we don't know why he got extremely rich in the whether he... The, the suggestion is financial genius. He just yes. has this talent for it. I suppose that's the point. We don't think he became extremely rich by being a thief. Mm. Yeah, he, he is, as far as we know, a respectable businessman in the days when you could still say that with a straight face. <laughs> um, and, yeah, what, what, what he has done, essentially, is organise the perfect crime to try to be less bored. Uh, so he has recruited these five or six people. Yes, including Ribbon of Memes alumnus Yefet Koto, who we mm. last saw in Alien, I think. Mm, I think so. Um, and you know, they, they've never seen his face, and as far as possible, things have been done by telephone, and it, it's all tightly coordinated and so on. Uh, yeah, but is, but the, the key thing is they've never met each other either. He, he's basically masterminded the whole plot to the point of just telling them each their individual roles. Yeah. And they know nothing about the broader picture. They don't even recognise each other when, yes. when they meet in the bank. And, the, yeah, this, this is armed robbery. There are, there are people being threatened with firearms. Well, someone gets shot in the first... Well, uh, in, in, the, yeah. in the first one, nobody gets shot. Someone gets shot in the leg. No, mm, one, no one gets killed. Okay, okay. But someone does get shot. Um, and this, this is basically confusing to the police, because... A, how is it done? B, you know, even if they get one guy, how can, how can they crack him if, if, they, if he can't say anything about the rest of them? Well, the other thing is, crucially, that Thomas Crown seems to get his jollies because he... The strong implication he's doing this not because he has to, it's because he enjoys it. Yeah, he's a, he, it's, it's made quite clear that he doesn't need the money. I mean, yes, he's sorting it away in a Swiss account rather than giving it back or you know, yes, exactly. anything not, like that. But, but that he gets his enjoyment out of it not from actually being actively involved in it. it. He is not taking any of the risks himself. Uh, he is just sort of watching. He's plotted it all. He's literally masterminded it. Yeah. And he is watching it, but not actively involved. All he does, once he set it in motion, is go and pick the stuff up at the end. Yeah, which I I do find sags a little for me. I mean, on the one hand, yes, it's, a great, it's clearly a great plan, and he's, he's had a great time putting it together. But yeah, he, he's not a physical coward. We, we see, you know, he's, mm. he's doing, doing the gliding, he's doing the, the polo and the, and the beach buggies and all the rest of it. Um, what, what is, why is this satisfying in a way that getting personally involved wouldn't be? It becomes a plot, well, not a plot point, it becomes clear that he is something of an adrenaline junkie. Hmm. I can only assume he gets a sort of adrenaline-like thrill of watching his plan come together. I guess. But I agree. The thing that... Uh, so we have Steve McQueen. Who, okay, I, I have a lot of time for Steve McQueen as an actor. Right. Um, I just think this is the wrong role for him. I, because he, 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 is, he is very much man of action. Yes. Uh, I, he, he, remember we talked about Tom Cruise getting his motorbike scene in uh, Day After Tomorrow? Was it Day After Tomorrow? Re, uh, Lived I Repeat? Whichever one that is. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Steve McQueen was very much on, on that idea. He, in, in The Great Escape, he said, I want my motorcycle seen. And, and, he and, and the scriptwriter had to work out how to get a motorcycle into Colditz. <laughs> <laughs> Which they, well, on the way out of Colditz. My, I suppose I come at a slightly different angle. I, I've never really been a huge fan of Steve McQueen. I find him kind of, I don't know, it just, maybe that's just a personal reaction. I just get the feeling 
he's an absolute bastard, <laughs> and I, I can't. Well, that, that was a lot of his image as, as as you know, he he was very often in bad guy roles. So yeah, that, that, that was part of the deliberate projection. I, I mean, it may have been true as well. I'm not saying it wasn't. But, uh, but he, I, he had a lot of affairs. He doesn't see nobody seems to have accused him of beating them up, which is no, maybe true. not a great standard. But for Hollywood in the sixties, it's not a bad one. Well, I mean, yes, there's a lot worse. But, but I think for that, however true it is, my kind of visceral reaction is slightly against him. Um, uh, but I agree. I mean, he is a man of action. But what we get is a lot of uh, like the actual heist. I went into the Thomas Crown affair knowing he was a, a rich thief, basically. Mm. That's pretty much all I knew about it. So I was expecting most of the film to be about, you know, the heist and these plots and mm. him doing all the kind of raffles type stuff. Uh, but actually, it's maybe the first 20 minutes of the film, 30 minutes, about something that, yeah. like that. And he, uh, what we get of Thomas Crown uh, or Steve McQueen is him sort of pacing around this giant office Occasionally looking through binoculars and, and looking kind of smug. And, and then when it's all over, he gets home and laughs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, he might enjoy that a lot. I, I, um, it wasn't what I was expecting, so I, I should rearrange one. So I, anyway, that's the setup. Yeah. But of course, the bank has insurance, and the insurance company has an investigator, uh, Vicky Anderson, who is played by Faye Dunaway. Mm, lovely Faye Dunaway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is right after Bonnie and Clyde, and of course we've also seen her in on Ribbon of Memes in Chinatown and Network. Yes. So, yeah, the, the, this again, I, I don't love her here because she does a great smolder. I won't, won't argue with that. Yeah, maybe I'm just won over by the smolder. I'll give you that. I do feel that she doesn't do a great job of a, of being an intelligent woman. Some there are moments when it when it does shine through, but in general. It, for me, it doesn't. This, this I may guess be me. we're more told it than shown it, aren't we? Because you know we get the impression she's this uh, phenomenally successful insurance agent, and so everyone's expecting someone. To, and then we see this kind of ditzy, um, uh, beautiful woman turn up that everyone's bowled over by. Uh, but yeah, she's a bit like Annie Hall style <laughs> ditzy. <laughs> uh, I yeah, we never see her doing. Well, that's not true. I mean, she is the one who identifies Thomas Crown and finds out yeah. who it is. Though it's sort of implied she partly does that just, not entirely, but partly off instinct as soon as she meets him. She's like, he's the one. Yeah. But she does figure it out logically as well. Um, but yeah, they, they, they fall for each other. Um, I, I think, now this may be just the era, but the, the impression I'm getting is, is that uh, Crown is basically never seriously Considering any change to his lifestyle, yeah, he 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 realizes, okay, I am I am to the point where they're going to catch me soon, and so I'm going to flee the country. Um, but he asks her to come with him. You know, he doesn't doesn't really he doesn't contemplate stop stopping doing it or you know, <laughs> no. returning the money, which he could easily do, or any of those things yes. before that point. So she has the decision: is she going to go along um, and with, with the police and? Actually, you know, use her investigative skills and actually catch him. Yes. Or is she going to meet him on the plane? Well, so we have. I, do, I want to interject with. We have the. Um, maybe I was in the wrong frame of mind, but we have you know the the, the chess scene, which is the mm. seduction mm. scene, and I just I, I got in my head that it was like a Naked Gun esque parody of <laughs> <laughs> because it is so over. You know, we have Faye. 
I don't know if I can use the phrase massaging the bishop in a way that doesn't sound, but it is, it's so over the top. And she's, I, she's not quite wearing a t-shirt that's reading Take Me Now You Idiot but so. uh, and maybe that is another one that I've seen many of these scenes since but it's not it's not a subtle chess scene mm. um, I, I could see a, a chess scene that was to my mind subtle and yeah this isn't it yeah and it's uh, it's quite clear what's going to happen from when they meet um, and there is there is a chemistry between them I'll accept that my Personal, not a special like of Steve McQueen, but but I do think there is a chemistry. I do feel, and I guess this is where it comes into. I I I thought Faye Dunaway was great here, but that might be that I'm just enjoying watching Faye Dunaway. Um, but, but also, I think she ha- she has a, a more challenging and more rewarding part to play hmm. because she's got this. Yeah, you know, I am actually torn here, as opposed yes. to Thomas Crown, who is. Yeah, I mean, yes, he, yes, he, he likes her, but. He's quite prepared to fly to Brazil and never look back if if she doesn't turn up. Yes, it probably occurs to him at some point. Oh, I actually would like this one to come with me, but you don't. It doesn't. Yes, he doesn't change in himself. I mean, literally, because then he performs the identical crime at the end of the film. Mm. Though, though, to some extent, that that is a way of thumbing his nose at the whole investigation. Yes, I mean, the whole point is, um, I did it once. I can do it again, which presumably gives him even more thrills. And just the same way, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to do it again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How can I up the stakes by repeating it exactly? Although... This, the... this time, it, it's ambiguously shot, but there is a, a significant hint that somebody might actually got seriously hurt or killed on this one. Well, exactly. Ambiguously shot being the right term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is gunfire. Um, uh, mm. And so, yes... Uh, the romance, so the bulk of the film, so that's kind of the last 20 minutes of the film. We have the first 20, 30 minutes of the film is the the heist, and then the last 20, 30 minutes of the film is the heist again. And then the middle is this, uh, they're falling in love with each other. My problem, I suppose, is in the, in the parlance of the day, I don't really ship them. I don't, <laughs> I don't quite want them to get together. I want Faye Dunaway to be stronger, and I agree with you, she's... He's in. What I would like is the to be more of an interplay between strong mm. characters and her trying to almost winning and him trying to win. He's not so much a strong character as Granite Cliff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she is just on the back foot all the time, and whenever she thinks she isn't, she still is because he's he's in control and in command. It feels like he's doing with their love story what he did with the heist, which is probably deliberate. You know, he's masterminding the whole thing mm. again, and he knows exactly what she's going to do. And he knows where it's going to end up, and he's kind of planned it all from the start. Really, it's not—it's not actually spelled out, but that's kind of the implication from the film. I didn't get that as much with this one, but yeah, I, I won't say you're wrong. Um, I, yeah. I, I certainly going in that direction. My, my feeling is more that he is just unreactive. Um, you know, he—he's—he's he, he's doing the thing. He is the guy, and she can do what she likes. Yes, and he doesn't really mind too much one way or the other. I don't think. It would go well for her if she did. Um, anyway, they end up... Uh, I, I think it's fair to say they end up in love with each other. And then, yes, he he then rather callously, I feel, puts her in this awful position of, um, I'm going to do it again. Um, you can come with me if you like. Um, and so she, she does... Uh, she actually uh, does tip the police off, but he kind of knew... 
Because he is not entirely stupid, he is not actually there to be picked up where he said he'd be there to be picked up. And then she feels even more awful. I don't know what it is. So it's not... It's not. A... She, she's made at this point. She's made a choice, and arguably, it's a good choice. But she ain't happy about it. No, because we're a new wave film. That the, old, <laughs> the ending feels like a kind of mic drop tragedy thing. Not quite. I mean, it's not. He gets to fly away and looks happy. She looks devastated. So it's not quite a Bonnie and Clyde ending. Um, but it's it's not a happy ending. It's also the kind of story. It couldn't have been, I don't know, maybe it's the kind of film that could have ended up with the plane just taking off and him looking anxiously at the door and then at the last minute she gets on. But I can't see it quite working in this version of the Thomas Crown Affair that way round. Yeah, and we, we've talked about films, a few films with um, native or downbeat endings on, on the show and I, I, there are times when just it's, it's the right thing to do, I think. Yes, uh, but I would have been very surprised if this film had done it. So I was yeah. <laughs> expecting. When I first yeah. saw this, I didn't know anything like as much as I do now about the American New Wave and the sort of, the sort of style. But it, it definitely felt like I, I would have pegged it as, as a seventies film of of the everything everything is going wrong, everything is terrible school. <laughs> yes. so. um, I, I would I would call it underwritten and overfilmed. I mean, that there is a lot of visual gimmickry going on, mm. not not just the multi-frame thing. Um, yeah, if, if I were the director of photography, I would I would have as my showreel most of this film. Yes, I mean, I mean it's also, you know, the, the, the design, you know, the, the, his house and the, their costumes and... I, I did I did write down when, when we were going around his house, is this meant to be the American idea of quite good taste? <laughs> I uh, no, I won't say anything about Donald Trump on air. So uh, yes, perhaps it is meant to be there. <laughs> mm, uh, do we? Do you want to mention the, the the windmills in your mind as we've touched upon it? Yeah. So the uh, windmills in, uh, in of the windmills of your mind. Sorry, um, Noel Noel Harris. Uh, I think so. Uh, w- was written for the film to to be you know, the, the theme song, and, and it's used um, in, in the gliding scene as well. Um. And I think to people like us who were too young to grow up, yeah, to, to see this first time round, it's just one of those 60s songs that got played on the radio sometimes. Yes, exactly that. I, I'm sure I've heard it many, many times before I knew anything about the film. So it, it has that familiarity contempt thing going on for me. <laughs> I think for me, I, uh, I like listening to lyrics and, and, um, I like, I like knowing what the song's about. Uh, what I learned about windmills of your mind is it's not really about anything. It's just a bunch of vaguely profound things to be put in a, in a list. About madness. Vaguely. Uh, vaguely. Well, I think even that might be reading too much into <laughs> it. But it, um, maybe it does suit the film in that case, in that sense, in that it seems profound, but is ultimately <laughs> superficial. I, I actually quite like some of the instrumental jazz stuff and the rest of it. I mean, again, it's of the era. But oh, they it, have it, a disadvantage because I would rather be run over by a truck than listen to any more jazz. <laughs> <laughs> That's not literally true, but I, I am not a fan of that kind of that kind of jazzy background. It's just like there. I don't. I don't respond well to it. it. It's more to me when it when it goes uh, atonal and non musical to, to to hint up that yeah something something profound is going on here. Mm. I okay. I don't want to see an entire film of doing that. 
Um, but this only does it some of the time, so fair enough. Oh, felt, like <laughs> felt like it was long enough to me. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm perhaps sounding more down on the film than I, I, I certainly enjoyed it, but I, I certainly didn't love it either. Um, it wasn't what I was expecting. I didn't really, uh, enjoy the love story. I enjoyed the performance, and yes, it's beautiful to look at. Um, but it's not it's not much more than that. I didn't like the the character of again. This may uh, this may come back in a minute, but the character of Thomas Crown is it, it strikes me as rather like again a bit of a proto James Bond. When when was Doctor No? Was that uh, the 65, year before? Five six. It, it has been out by now. Um, yeah. But whereas our last sort of proto James Bond, I mean that can't be proto James Bond is already out. But I did enjoy the character of um, Cary Grant's character in North by Northwest. I mm. liked him more than James Bond. Thomas Crown, I liked about as much as James Bond, i.e., not very much. He's yeah. I mean, I think a lot of heist films want to get you on side and say, you know, you want this guy to succeed and steal the money for his good reasons. And I don't think this film even tries. <laughs> well, I think the way it has to work is like, oh, he's terrible. I know he should be caught. It's awful. I kind of want him to, you know, and I, that didn't work for me. So, mm. um, but, well, should we move on to the Thomas Crown Affair? Yeah, so this is the remake, and this is the one I'm going to argue is John McTiernan's last good film, having teased that idea over the last last couple of episodes. The 13th Warrior, which um, we didn't... <laughs> Well, uh, I think which, which wasn't, wasn't wasn't that great, and it wasn't his film anyway. Um, but anyway, yeah. And so this is one, one of McTiernan's remakes. Um, the reason Rollerball is significant is because he would remake that later as well. Oh, um, John McTiernan remake because that's a terrible. And remake. everybody hated it. And by by all accounts, it really was McTiernan's decisions that, that uh, ruined that because he basically what he got given a reasonably smart script and said, "Dumb it down, more action." It's surprising because, you know, this is diehard John McTiernan, who we genuinely both think is a masterpiece of one of the greatest action films of Predator, all time. Predator, John McTiernan. John McTiernan, who, uh, yes, exactly, yeah. But uh, anyway, so it's basically the same story, but different in ways that I find quite significant. So we, we have Pierce Brosnan as Thomas Crown. Um, oh, a previous James Bond playing this character. Yeah, a, a current James Bond played this character. This, this came out between uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough. They're both awful films. I'll grant you. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely a better <laughs> film. Even by the standards of James Bond, they're pretty, they're pretty damn bad. Um, Goldeneye, oh, I've got to say, is a very good film. But anyway. Uh, and Rene Rousseau as uh, she's Catherine... I've forgotten the surname already in this, but anyway, different name. Um... And Dennis Leary, whom I Mm. don't particularly know. People seem to have strong feelings about him. I have strong Uh, feelings about him because I, um, uh, because he pinched, uh, oh my goodness, I've forgotten his name, um, uh, Bill Hicks's act wholesale on stand up. Uh, and I, so I, I dislike Dennis Leary as a plagiarist. As an actor, um, he's not doing that classic comedian overplaying thing. He's actually playing it pretty straight and pretty well, I think. Well, that's the frustrating thing. Despite my <laughs> fundamental dislike of Dentsley, I actually quite enjoyed watching him here. And he, he's, uh, his character of the lieutenant uh, is, is more better fleshed out um, in this version. Mm. So how is this version different? Because it's well, basically the same story. Yeah, two, two key things. I mean, a, 
um, this Thomas Crown is doing his own robbing. Yes. Um, he does set up a, a bunch of poor, um, uh, I think, Eastern European or Russian um, people to get locked up in his stead. Yeah, but but also to fail to steal something as a distraction for his real crime, which which is nicely done. I mean, it, it, it's done in that classic style, which I'm sure McTinder would have found familiar from Die Hard, uh, of the team coming in, um, being menacing, doing all the clever stuff about we know where everything is, we're going to shut off this and turn on that and... And they, and, they, and they are, in this case, simply the distraction, which is lovely. And it has echoes of the um, the Nakatomi Plaza mm, um, heist to it, for sure. Um, and to me, that that makes more sense. You know, if, if I can understand, I am bored of making all the money. TM, I want to do crime. As as distinct from, I am bored and I want to organise crime. It, it it's just. Yes, simpler and more straightforward, but I think, but I think it works better, and, and Brosnan can pull, pull it off. I, I mean, it, in a way, you could argue the first film is more realistic. You know, the, people probably, yeah. probably do get their I, jobs. I, doing I don't that sort think um, '60s Crown is actually enjoying it all that much. <laughs> no, he's enjoying it in a nihilistic '60s way, but even the heist in the '60s, it's more—it's actually more. It's not kind of a movie heist. With the, with this Thomas Crown affair, there's an element of who done it and how did he do it. You know, there's, yeah. there's a mystery and there's a, oh, that's really clever feel to it, which isn't, you don't really get that in the first one because that, the first one is more like a real crime that might actually happen. This is like a, a kind of a who done it style crime. The, the other key difference for me is that this is switching from armed robbery of cash to art theft. Uh, yes. Which, in movie logic, makes it instantly cool crime. <laughs> and instantly a victimless crime, because uh, uh, well, no one is hurt, aside from his disposable. You never quite find out what happens to the people he hired, but <laughs> I, they definitely get arrested, whether they get released again, I don't know. Um, but it's it's a museum, it's a painting. Ultimate, even the lieutenant investigating doesn't really care all that much about mm. the painting. He just enjoys solving the crime. Yeah, and he, he he has this actually quite good line at the end saying, you know, the, the week before he was de- dealing with really unpleasant people and now he's dealing with somebody who's at least vaguely polite to him and um, isn't hurting anybody. So Yes. Um, and, you know, next week clearly he's going to be doing horrible people again. He's he's not going to waste his time worrying about this one more than he has to. He's enjoyed the little break. I, I agree. He is... Dennis Leary aside, he is uh, he's better served. He gets some nice moments of the script where he's more sympathetic than the fairly forgettable straight-laced lieutenant in the first film. Mm. Also, there's that thing of he fa- he clearly fancies um, Renee Rousseau's character, yeah, Catherine. Um, yeah, clearly clearly fancies her. Clearly knows he doesn't have a chance, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, he knows where he is. Really, he's in the friend zone, and he's, he's coping with it. Mm-hmm. Um, how about Rene Rousseau and uh, Piers Brosnan? Well, we'll start with Rene Rousseau as we brought her up. Yeah, well, she, she had, um, like like Brosnan, she was, you know, current, currently working actor, getting getting reasonably big parts. This wasn't a big break or anything like that. Uh, she does have more work to do than uh, Brosnan, I think. Because Brosnan can basically play it, play it in the mannerism of James Bond if he ever gets worried about what style he should do it in. <laughs> he's, he's got that at the back of his head to fall back on. It's not like we have Daniel Craig playing his um, southern drawling detective <laughs> in, uh, in our own Knives Out mysteries. 
Um, so I, d- I do think she has more work to do, but I think, again, there's a certain amount of the film is more hers than his. She's got a journey to go on. I, d- I suppose t- this Thomas Crown has a something of a journey and some character development, um, but she's the one who this sort of plot happens to, in a way. He's got it all figured out. And it's much more from her viewpoint. I, th- I found it slightly weird... Someone seemed to think, like, oh, for her character development, let's have her always drinking something. So in every scene, she's, like, got a coffee or a weird smoothie or a Coke. It just seemed mm-hmm. to be a character trait that I didn't <laughs> quite get because it, it's not actually that much fun to watch someone lugging a, a can of Coke in front of them. Or, or a green proto protein shake or whatever they were called in the right. 1990s. It seemed to be a strange um, character trait. But there we go. She's a woman with a character trait, so, you know, at least she had one. There, there were bits where, where I was definitely getting a Sigourney Weaver feel. Uh, this may just be because of the lack of good female roles in top-line Hollywood films, but... They're, yeah. they're, 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 I think there is something of the style there. Yes. And for me, that's definitely a good thing. <laughs> yes. I, I liked her a lot here. Um, I liked Faye Dunaway in the previous uh, incarnation. I prefer Pierce Brosnan here, too. I prefer him as an actor. If anything, though, his Thomas Crown is even smugger than the previous Thomas Crown. He, he is the perfect planner. Um, what, what is it? That, uh, there's a TV tropes page called Xanatos Gambit. I can't remember the original show it comes from, but the... The, the sort of planner who has worked out not only what to do, but exactly how you're going to react and has prepared specifically for the way he knows you are going to react in this particular situation <laughs> yeah. because nothing else is conceivable. I think that's what I mean, really, that it's it's more kind of movie. Um, it doesn't mm. actually make a huge amount of sense. Um, like it, they, in it, this one, they come in, in a tra- literally in a Trojan horse, which is actually quite... The whole plan is um, Hollywood movie... Plan, uh, you know, the kind of thing that culminates in the sixth sense where it's kind of a trick played on the audience, but it actually doesn't make a lot of sense outside of the context of watching this film. One of the sequences that got cut is uh, the painting that actually got stolen right at the end. There was going to be a, a whole scene explaining how he'd done that. And McTinnan said, no, that's boring. Let's just have Leary saying, wow, he, he, he must be really smart, he did that. Yeah, I think that's fine. By then, you're not there. Also, also, it would kill the narrative momentum. This isn't, although it has whodunit trappings, this isn't a whodunit. It's fundamentally the same film in that she falls in love with him. Uh, he he is not repentant. He's not going to change particularly. She's then got to decide, does she do a job or does she change it because of this man? One thing that I, I, I liked slightly is in the original film, uh, Crown has a mistress. Uh, and one of the things is make, make, making her jealous at, at, because he's still visiting his mistress even though he's snogging her. Um, and that is here too, but it's got a twist to it. Yes, she's not the mistress at all. He's um, Turns out he has a heart of gold secretly and he's been helping her. I forget the backstory. Was she an orphan or the daughter of someone who... I can't remember, but it turns out he, he has a heart of gold and it's actually he's helping her out, not knocking her off, crucially. I, I do think this might be slightly based on uh, the, those... She, she is in, in character the daughter or niece or something of the famous art forger. That's right. Who, who turns out to be a competent art forger herself. There was... Uh, was it the guy who did... Was it Van Meegeren? Um a, a famous art forger of the Nazi era slightly later. Um, was... He, he is sufficiently famous as a forger now that he, he got exposed and so on that... 
original forgeries by him have some value. His daughter <laughs> was was charged with doing fakes of his paintings. Well, you know, you meant as a forger. If people are forging your forgeries. <laughs> um, what I do like about the, the, this Catherine is. Um, she is actually a detective. She does detect deduction and research and stuff rather than just saying, I have a feeling. I, I like that. Yes, there's hints of it in the first, the Faye Dunaway character, but yeah, running research is actually a much more serious, uh, investigative agent. And is less of a, slightly less of a pushover, I feel. <laughs> I feel. Yeah, I mean, there, there is an actual romantic tension between them. I, I think I, sh- I ship this couple uh, more than I, I ship the previous two. I, I, I Even though I one of the previous ones was Faye Dunaway, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I prefer the romance here. Um, mm. Yeah. I still don't love the character of Thomas Crown even here. Granted. And I suppose there is a, the other difference is there is violent, you know, that someone gets shot through the leg in the first robbery people potentially get killed in the second robbery in the first film. No one really gets hurt here. It's um, cool crime. It's cool crime. And that, that is a, a huge difference. It does seem like it's really trying to make you like him more. And similarly, hmm. you know, he's, he's helped out the niece of... Um, uh, she, she's the niece of this art forger, um, and he's helped her out. Uh, on the one hand, the, the, you could regard this as Hollywood dumbing down, making the story easy to understand. On the other hand, well, we already have the original film. Um, the, this, this is one of the remakes that I really like because it is not just let, let's copy the original only let's have a younger and prettier actor or it. Uh, uh, yes, it, uh, it, I mean some of it, it keeps the, the same lines verbatim, some of it is very different. I don't know. Yeah, there, there was going to be a polo scene and McTiernan cut that and put in the uh, yacht racing instead. Oh yes, yeah. The, the, basically this scenes all form Function, the, the whole plot is, you know, it rhymes. This, this guy is not a physical coward, etc., etc. Uh, yes, and it all, um, it all, there are scenes basically that fulfill functionally exactly the same, mm. um, purpose as the original, but they are just with a different line. And I, I said, yes, I take your point. You could argue, oh, do they have to make him easier to like one? On the other hand, you know, you don't have to make everyone deeply unpleasant and, and hard yeah. to like. And you don't have to make everything horrible for it to be a worthy form of art, or at least an enjoyable film. There's nothing wrong in giving some con- concessions to the fact there are humans with emotions watching the film <laughs> that may actually quite like to be happy at some point. Yeah, and the, the thing for me is, on the one hand, I want a remake to be telling broadly a similar story, because otherwise why, why call it a remake? Yes. On the other hand, I don't want it to be a slavish imitation, only with, with prettier people. Um, and I think this, this, I think this hits it reasonably dead centre. Um, it's sufficiently different and also sufficiently similar for, for my taste, at least. I'm not saying anybody else necessarily feels this way. I, I agree. I mean, sometimes I'm not anti-remakes particularly. Um, I, I like to be surprised by remakes. Um, How many also... times has the remade a star is born with basically exactly the same story? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I, in a way, though, I went into this film knowing what to expect, whereas the first film I was a bit surprised because I'd built up an idea of what the Thomas Crown would be from mm. the name. Um, uh, but, I, I'm, I'm assuming that the, it was not marketed at people who remembered the original from 30-odd years earlier, because they never are. No, but the original was quite successful financially, mm. and that's probably where it came from. I, it certainly makes more... T- I, 
I have less of a problem a remake being made, you know, 30 years after a reasonably successful film for a new generation than, you know, rebooting a character five years after the last film. <laughs> I, that's, yeah. um, that's where we start to have problems. However good the new film is, uh, you know, there's the, only the, the, so many times we can learn about a man who fights crime dressed as a bat. Because of his parents getting murdered. Oh, yeah, because that's what happens to everyone whose parents get murdered. Like. Mm. Uh, as as for soundtrack, honestly, I didn't even notice it. I mean, it's, it's a modern enough film that that just blends into the background and sets the mood for me. It, yes, exactly. This is the era of films I sort of grew up with. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I didn't. It didn't actively grate on me. <laughs> no, they, they used a version of the original song over the end credits, but yeah, shrug. Oh, I think there were motifs of that in the film every so often. Now mm. you mention it, but as I'm not a huge fan of the. Song. I don't take it, <laughs> but I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, the, I didn't mind it either way. I preferred this one to the first one. Yeah, I, I would say yeah, not, clearly neither of these is a masterpiece. Um, Spoilers, but I agree. But, but I would be entirely happy to keep both on my shelf and I wouldn't feel I needed to choose one or the other. They, they Bo- both of them are ones the I, might, I might go back and watch in, back to and watch in the right context and the right mood. It's nice in a way that they both represent the area, the area in which they were made without compromising, you know, the story or the basic plot. Uh, Thomas Crown Affair is very, it's more like a mid-90s film made in the late 90s. Actually, remembering going through the mid-90s, what a depressing era that was when we were going <laughs> through the top ten. This is actually a, a, quite a nice film for that period. Um, yeah, it wasn't a huge success, but it made, made a decent profit. It did all right, and uh, good luck to it. It's certainly, yes, it's not up there with John McTiernan and John McTiernan's finest. I've less issues with it. I didn't hate the Thirteenth Warrior, but uh, it, it was <laughs> it was not quite what I was hoping for. Whereas this was exactly what I wanted, which is fine. Yeah, the, the, this is, to my mind, the last good McTiernan film, as good by his standards. Well, he's not dead yet, and he's out of prison, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's letting him near um, full finances these days. Okay. <laughs> Probably wisely. Um, well, that, have we more to say about the Thomas Crown's affairs? I think uh, it's time, time for us to uh, hop, hop aboard the uh, plane and uh, sneak up behind somebody's seat. You're not going to leave me down here, are you? <laughs> 